Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. Next uh, Sunday, Yanel is coming. Um, many of you know Jan, the, the big dude from Africa. Uh, he's going to preach Sunday morning. Um, I'm going to be here, but he's going to preach for us. And then that evening, uh, we're going to do a, a service about 6 o'clock at night that Jan is going to help facilitate. And what we want to do is we want to um, create an atmosphere for the presence of God to manifest and move. And so we want to see prophetic words go out and encourage people. We want to see chains broken. We want to see prayer for healing. We want to see uh, curses broken. Now remember, curses, I don't want you to think, get all funky about, oh, curses, I've been cursed. Curse is just the absence of a blessing. And so we want to break those curses, and we want to pray blessing over people. And so we're going to start at 6 o'clock, and it's not going to be, you know, we don't have any real plan. Um, We just want to create an atmosphere for God's presence to come here and move among his people. You can invite friends or family, whoever you want to invite. But I will say this, come expecting God to move. Uh, Come expecting the presence of the Spirit to be here. Come expecting the power of the Holy Spirit to move. Because that's who our God is. He wants to bless his people. He wants to heal his people. He wants to free his people. And so I would encourage you all to come out uh, again next Sunday. Uh, We're going to start at 6 o'clock. We have no real agenda. Uh, We're just going to go for it and and see what God's up to. And and the reason I've asked um, Jan to kind of come with us through this journey because see more of these types of things in our future that we just want to gather as the church uh, on an evening, no agenda, and just wait for God's presence to fall into this room and begin to just heal, wherever it is to heal. All right? So that's next week, the 17th, 6 o'clock in the evening. And so, Father, we come before you this morning as your children, as we celebrate uh, milestones in life, we thank you. And Father, we ask a a special blessing this morning on our veterans as we celebrate a day that recognizes their service to our country. Father, I pray that um, those who are no longer active and those who are active would, would feel a sense of pride in what they've done a sense of accomplishment that they laid it on the line. And Lord, we remember those who've fallen and have given the ultimate sacrifice of their lives. For those men and women who left home, family, only never to return again. And so we ask a blessing upon those families who have lost loved ones, 
in the service to this country. And again, Lord, we want to bless those who serve. May grace follow them. May healing be upon them. And may there be a sense of pride in their hearts because it is well-deserved. Now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Good grief. So before we can get into Acts this morning, so, so I just want to read Philippians 3. And this is what Paul writes to the church. He says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Notice the word all. It means all. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. These are probably some of the most powerful words that have been written in the scripture. And they're not just words for Paul. Um, That's the way he lived his life, man. He was all in when Jesus got a hold of him. All in. He just left it all behind. He considers everything loss for the sake of Christ. He suffered emotionally. He suffered physically. He suffered spiritually to follow Jesus. He was, again, all in. In. When you read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, I'm amazed that one man can continue to pursue something and just get beaten up all of the time the way Paul was beaten up. I just want to read a little bit of that. Um, 2 Corinthians 11, I don't know if I marked it off or not. It's not going to be up there, so I think it's in the New Testament. Somewhere over here. Work with me now. I love you too, Bess. All right. Well, fine. This is, this is what Paul says. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressures of concern for all 
of the churches. <laughs> it's quite the resume, huh? That was Paul's life. I mean, if you wanted to question his sincerity for following Jesus, like if you think that this guy wanted just to kind of make a name for himself, you know, I think I'm going to write some of the Bible, you know, and I'm going <laughs> to... You just look at his back and count the scars on his back from being whipped. Look at his, maybe his face or his head from the scars where the rocks pelted him and knocked him out cold. They thought he was dead. They dragged him out of the city. He was willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus. In fact, he was not only willing to suffer for Christ's sake, he was willing to suffer for people. Paul loved much. He loved deeply. He wrote to the Roman church that that he wished that he can he would be willing to be cut off from Christ so his brothers and sisters would know Christ. Imagine that. Like, I, I wish that I would leave all of this if my brothers and sisters would come to the truth of who Jesus is. When he wrote to the Philippian church, he wrote how he loved them and longed for them, and he considered that church his joy and his crown. This man's heart was filled with love, this, this once Pharisee, hatred of the way, persecutor of the church. Jesus gets a hold of him and flips him. He had this incredible intellect. Next week, or in two weeks from now, we're going to look at uh, when he goes to Athens and, and argues with and debates with those people. But this intellect, I mean, if you read the book of Romans, it's, it's amazing the depth of understanding that he has in Jesus. Like, I, I read that book, and I have to get really smart people's books who wrote about that book so I can begin to understand and unpack it. He just had this revelation from God and wrote this letter. It's amazing. But yet this incredible intellect writes chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, and he explains what love is. It's patient and it's kind and it doesn't boast it doesn't seek its own. It doesn't keep records of wrong. So this, this, this intellect and this big heart, this is who Paul was. He lived for Jesus. Fully alive. He put everything that he had in his life to, to, to fan the flame of his passion for the gospel. He was in all the time. The only thing that's going to stop him or shut him up is death, like physical death. There is so much that we can learn from his life, so much that we can learn from, from just following um, his story in the Bible. And that's what we're going to begin to do today. I'm going to have Will come up, and he's going to read uh, chapter 17, verses 1 through 15 for you. So we get a full picture of the story, and then we're going to go back and unpack it. Good morning. Starting with verse 1. When Paul and his companions passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. He said, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, 
as did a number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Thanks, Willie. So that's kind of the whole story that that we're going to go dig into and and, and take these uh, principles of Paul and and hopefully apply them to, to our lives. So in chapter 17, we see that, once again, this missionary group is on the move. It's, it's Paul, it's Silas, it's Timothy. Uh, Luke is, is writing all about this. They leave Philippi. Um, they're leaving this church. Uh, the Philippian church is, is going to be one, like I said last week, that's very dear to Paul. Uh, they're leaving Lydia and her family. They're leaving the jailer and his family. And I'm sure there's others um, that have uh, established this small Jesus community And then we get to the first couple verses of the text. And it says, when Paul and his companions had passed through Meriden and Cheshire, they came to (laughs) Southington where where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Then Jesus, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. It was Paul's custom that he would go to a city, go to a town. He's looking for his brothers and sisters. He's looking for Jews. He wants to present to them the Messiah, the Messiah that the Jews are waiting for. Paul says, no, no, he's, he came. He died. He did what he was supposed to do, and it's Jesus Christ, and he's risen from the dead. But when he, when he kind of presents things to his people, to, to most people, he takes this kind of um, a three-tiered approach. First, we see that uh, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. There was dialogue. There was kind of give and take. There was questions and answers. And then when he was kind of, uh, he felt the right time, he would then begin to explain the scripture to them. He would open up the meaning of what the scriptures were saying. 
he would unpack them in the context of them pointing to Jesus. Now, we're talking about Old Testament here. The, the New Testament at this point hasn't been written yet. So Paul is, is going back through that big section of your Bible that probably smells like new because you don't really get in there too much. But he is saying all of this, all of this is pointing to the Messiah, is pointing to Jesus. Paul knew the Scripture. He knew the Bible. Not only did he read it, he memorized huge sections of it because he was a Pharisee. And he studied that scripture, and he meditated on it. It began to shape his life at a very young age. The scriptures, this, this ancient text that we have, this sacred word of God. There's this guy that um, I follow and read some of his stuff. His name is Ed Stetzer. And uh, Ed is a church guy. He studies the church. He, he kind of does research about um, church growth and um, different generations within the church. And all. I mean, he's, he's worth the read if you're a pastor. Um, but he wrote an article for Christianity Today. And uh, it's a couple years old, but in this article, he quoted uh, Lifeway Research and some of the, the studies that they were doing. And what they came up with um, is that 45% of people who regularly attend church read the Bible maybe more than once a week. 45%. 40% of the people who regularly attend church read the Bible once or twice a month. They said they came up with one in five Christians who are attending church on a regular basis never read the Bible. And then they flip it and they say it's about one in five that will read it every day. And then the, the article kind of went on to unpack some of the unbiblical, yeah, unbiblical uh, philosophies that, that church-attending Christians hold. Like there's no such thing as Satan. He's just kind of a symbol for evil. Or um, that, uh, that there are many ways... To, to get to heaven, to find God. That Jesus is only one way, and it's the way that we've kind of chosen to embrace. And th there were other things listed in there, these, these false, unbiblical beliefs that church-attending Christians have uh, taken as their own. And he directly attributes these things to a lack of biblical knowledge, to biblical illiteracy. I've been approached by, by many people throughout the years as a pastor, and they've come to me kind of anxious and, and not knowing what to do because uh, family or friends or, or coworkers, they have asked them about their faith. They've asked them about what the Bible says, and they don't know how to answer them. And it's in part because they haven't opened the Scripture for themselves. They haven't studied it. They haven't read it. And we as a church, capital C, we as a church... We need to do better. See, the world, like outside these walls, the world needs us to do better, to know the word of God, to know the revelation of who our God is in the context of his wor uh, word. The world feels very dark. And this book is the light of Christ. 
the world seems very broken. These words bring healing. There is power in the name of Jesus. We sung just that name. There's power pronouncing, uh, confessing, proclaiming that name. Just that name. Matthew 28, Jesus gives us the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, meaning teach people about me. Teach people about the things I've said and the things I've done. That commission, that mandate, is not just for pastors. It's for every one of us. Every proclaiming Jesus Christian is to be able to speak the words of Scripture, to understand who our God is, to understand who we are in him. Paul, I'm sorry, Peter writes in his first letter, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, he says this, um, that we are to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared to give an answer. And that preparedness, the foundations of that preparedness is knowing and understanding and engaging the word of God. Which means that each and every one of us, we need to be in this word. And we need to be reading it and studying it and allowing it to shape us and to form us. How can you share the love of God if you yourself don't understand the love of God that he has for you? How can you understand forgiveness if you yourself don't understand forgiveness? I'm not talking about all those big theological words that just bog us down and the church has argued over for thousands of years. I'm just talking about the fundamentals of who Christ is. They're in these, they're in these pages. Paul, he, he would open up the scripture, Old Testament scripture, and he would do it with this, this clarity. And almost, dare I say, a, um, a simplicity. And, and, and that clarity comes from the fact that he understood what he was talking about. And it's this virtue that I just pray for us as a church that we would begin to engage this book the way, to, to treat it the way it deserves to be treated, as the word of God. Like, like he spoke creation into existence. And now we have his word right here, that God. And you can't explain things if you yourself don't understand them. You can't explain things in a way that people who, who don't go to church, who don't know the Bible, if you yourself don't have an understanding or a knowledge of those things. Simplicity really is key. Um, it's, I, I hope, at least, it's, it's always been my goal in preaching and teaching, but I keep it simple. And sometimes I'll use the big words, but yeah, I had to Google them before I used them. <laughs> like, I found this online. Check this out. Hence from my sights, nor let me thus pollute mine eyes with looking on a wretch like thee. Thou cause of my ills, I sicken at thy loathsome presence. Or I can just say scram, you make me sick. You got the message the second time. He looked at me. Well, I saw your drug. Uh huh? What? Simplicity is so important. We have complicated things. I'm not saying that we don't need good doctrine. We do. 
I'm not saying that we do not need the um, a proper theological understanding of who Jesus is and who God is and, and forgiveness and, and all the, the, the things that, that come with that. But we have to understand the book. We, <laughs> this, is like, this is like the greatest message on earth. Like the greatest message in the world that the world has ever heard, will ever hear. This, this, these pages, they, they give life. Not only life in the here and the now, but, but life eternal. Like forever. And, and that's the only way we can describe it because we don't fully understand it. But eternity is out of time. Steps out of time. It's the message of healing and wholeness and forgiveness. It's the message of power. And sometimes that message is, is kept hidden from those who are perishing because we ourselves don't understand it for ourselves. If all you do is listen to me on Sunday morning, my goodness, you're missing so much of the fullness of God that he would have for you. And when we try to explain something we really don't understand, we confuse people. And so Paul, he would reason with them from the scripture. And then he would explain it to them what the Bible means, what it's saying, how it's pointing to Christ. And then he would prove, he would give evidence, he would go back and say, okay, look at, look at Jewish, my Jewish brothers. Look at Isaiah 53. This is talking about Jesus, the suffering Messiah, what he had to go through. And he can, he can link faith, that, that, that Abraham's faith was uh, attributed to him as righteousness, that it's by faith that we come to Christ, not through works. And he went back, man, three Sabbaths, you see in this text, three times, three, three Saturdays, three Friday nights, whatever it was, because he knew that it was gonna take time for the seeds that he was going to plant to begin to grow. And he treated people, I believe he treated people with respect and dignity because of the love that he had for them. His desire was that they would come to know the truth of who Christ is because there is no other name in heaven or on earth where we can find our salvation. It's Jesus and Jesus alone and all of the law and all the things that his brothers and sisters were engaged in, they were missing the point and he desperately wanted them to be saved. And so he treated them with dignity. He treated them with respect. If let me rephrase that. When we share our faith, it shouldn't be if. It, it should be when we share our faith. We've got to give room for people to disagree. It's okay. It's okay if people disagree with us because we have to give them that room and we don't get hostile about it. We don't, yeah, you're just going to hell anyway, so I'm out. No, man. We, we, we engage in a way where we respect them. We allow them to wrestle with the things that we are presenting first because we understand them ourselves. We present the gospel. We present what the scripture says. And the Holy Spirit opens the heart. The Holy Spirit opens the heart to receive the word of God. That's not our part. Let's do our part. Let God do the rest, man. Let God, let the Holy Spirit convict of sin. It, it frust nothing frustrates me as a pastor more than when I watch and I hear and I listen to people try to be the Holy Spirit. Because we make horrible Holy Spirits. We have to do our part. God will do his part, I guarantee it. 
when the gospel message is presented with, with patience and understanding and humility, man, this message stands on its own. It stands on its own. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean everybody's going to agree. That, mean, that doesn't mean you're going you're gonna to get people just, just falling in front of you, crying, how must I get saved, my brother? I mean, it will open you up to some stuff. It did Paul every time. Like, when you become transparent with your story and how your story is intertwined with God's story because you understand the story of God and you've read it and you've studied it, man, you can, you can expect to get some pushback. You can expect to be picked on, made fun of, laughed at. Paul gave up everything for the sake of Christ. He gave up everything for the sake of Christ. The question for us as a church is, are we willing for our faith to cost us? I believe that there's way too many Christians that are unwilling to even read the scripture, let alone considering everything a loss for Christ. We see this pattern in Paul's life. He's excited, he brings, he goes to the synagogue, man, he just unleashes, here it is, my brothers, boom, and he's just, he's just going through the scripture. But then, as is the tradition of our enemy, there's always going to be some pushback. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of Greek fe- God-fearing Greeks, and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the... I would, I would think about this. Like, back in my old... I would probably be one of those bad characters that got rounded up. I'm just saying. Anyway, I digress. Formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house, poor Jason, in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And so there is a major uproar, once again, where Paul is preaching the gospel. These uh, Jews became jealous because, uh uh-oh, wait a minute, he is stealing people from our way of doing things, and, and we're losing power, we're losing credibility. Wait, if he's right, then we can't be right also. And so he's making us look like we are wrong. They're losing power. They're losing followers, and they become jealous. But in all this tussle, they pay Paul and Silas this huge compliment, like it's like a backhanded compliment. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Their reputation precedes them. They are known for the message that they bring. They are known for the way that they're living their life. They are known for the signs and the wonders that through the power of the Spirit that is moving and working among them. They had a reputation. I want that reputation one day. And I hope and pray that that, that you want that reputation. That that those who don't like you are like, oh, here he comes again. Let me talk about Jesus. And then those who the Spirit has opened their heart would say, thank God he talked about Jesus. 
soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they, sent, they went to a Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Well, once again, to literally save their lives, they, they get uh, taken out of the city under the darkness of night, and they move to uh, this Berea, where once again, they don't miss a beat. They go right for the synagogue, and they begin preaching again, another opportunity. And it seems that the Berean culture is a little bit more sophisticated. The scripture says they were more of a, a noble character. Uh, there's a lot of meanings for that. I'm not quite sure what one to land on, but what we see is they receive the gospel message with eagerness, like that something clicked for them, and that word eagerness is, has the idea of kind of rushing forward, like they were all in, they jumped in and went, whoa, we got to look into this stuff, and it says that they examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. My prayer for my own life and my prayer has always been for our church that we would be a people of eagerness for the word of God. Paul would write to the Roman church in chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And if you're struggling in your faith, I think the first thing I would ask is, are you in the word of God? Do you have an eagerness in your heart? And you can even pray to the spirit of God to give me that eagerness. Give me that desire. Make it impossible for me to not open your word. He's pretty good. He'll answer those kinds of prayers. We as followers of Jesus should be eager to dig in and read and, and compare and cross-reference and, and, and just try to have a better understanding. There are so many tools now online that you could use to engage the Word of God. So many tools. I, I, there's a free one that I use all the time. It's called YouVersion. It's a Bible app. It will, it will read the Bible to you. You don't have to do anything. Boom, there it is. You don't have to do anything you just listen. And there's so many other oh, study tools out there that you can, if you're a geek like me, you can take apart the Greek and the Hebrew and figure out what the words mean. I mean, you can, you can go as far as you possibly want to go because there's so much out there. There's really no excuse for us not to be engaging the word of God in all of its fullness. The other day I took a nap. I put my headphones on. Psalm 1, verse 1 put them on, lay down. I woke up on Psalm 37. I have no idea what I listened to, but I'm just thinking subconsciously I am, I am absorbing the word of God. Amen. I'm hoping anyway. Absolutely. The Bereans were a noble sorts, maybe because they searched the scripture and examined it. 
I think, I think even in that, they remained a little cautious, a little bit. They just wanted to understand, and, and there was a little bit of, you know, let's just figure, we're not just going to jump right in because this guy Paul says we should, but we are going to do the work of getting into the Scripture. In my short span as a pastor, I have come across many people who become bored with Christianity. And I think that's on you and not on God. Because that should not be the case if we are pressing into Christ through the word and through prayer. I mean, those are foundational for any Christian. Like, if you have a desire to grow in your maturity and your relationship with Jesus, and you, are, you have a desire to, to be in the word of God and to, to be uh, in prayer and you're connecting with those things, you're going to watch how the principles of life begin to unfold before you as the word of God begins to change the way you view everything. It takes a lens from the world's point of view and it gives you a lens of the scripture. And you begin to see things differently. It will help you navigate even the most difficult situations of your life. And I'm, it's, it's not always easy. I, I've come to this revelation where many Christians will say, well, well God won't let you go through anything that, that, you, um, that, that, that will overpower you or you can't, you can't bear. That's too much to bear. That's just not true. What that scripture talks about is temptation. God will not allow you to be tempted into sin more than you can handle. He'll always give you a way out. But we have this idea of, fear, of, of fairness, that, that we like things to be tidy and fair in our own definition of it. That's just not true. And so some people have been hit with things in their lives that have just taken the wind right out of their sail, sucker punched them to their knees. And that's where we need the word of God. That's where we need the strength of the scripture to come in and lift us back up and dust off our shoes, dust off our knees, and, and push forward through it the very one that could have possibly stopped whatever it is you went through is the one that we have to turn to for our strength to get through it. Paul knew the word. He presented the word. And, and people, people believed. As a result, many people believed. Prominent people believed. When it comes alive for us, and we're continually pressing in and asking the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the truth of what God is trying to tell us. If, if, if you're praying, uh, pray uh, the, the prayer Paul writes in Ephesians chapter one that we would get the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation so that the same scripture that you read over and over again just takes you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. God's good that way. He'll answer those prayers. Old habits begin to fall away. New Christ-honoring habits begin to form, and not because you're trying harder, not because you're feeling guilty. It's just the natural flow. It's the natural rhythm. It's the natural rhythm of being in the Word of God. You will be transformed. Old pleasures take on new meaning. New pleasures are found out. The light of Christ fills you in ways that you can never possibly have known before. You know, in, in the church world, I, I have this sense that um, we take that word repentance and we've made it this horrible, ugly thing. 
Like, if we had people up here wanting to pray, and I said, church, some of you need to repent. Nobody wants to, like, look like in front of the whole church that I'm repenting. Because we, we've linked repentance to something, like, horrible. Like, you're being saved from hell. Which, in a sense, yes. But repentance, repentance is just about changing your mind. Repentance is going, that's not working. I'm going to do this. It's as simple as that. It's not a dirty word. It's, it's a life-giving, freedom, expression word that you have made the decision, nope, I'm going to do this. And I know that we are a culture of we're way too busy and we've got way too many things on our plate. But I will guarantee you this, that everything that you have made a priority in your life, you make a priority in your life. Everything that you have prioritized is what you will do. I encourage you, church, that you would make the word of God a priority. You would make the word of God a priority. And that in that, you will know freedom and you will know grace and you will know forgiveness and you will know wholeness. I think I think I want to I want to end this morning. Um, hey Ben, would you come up and play that song "Power in the Name of Jesus" just one more time? We don't need the whole worship team. I'm just going to have Ben on the piano. Sue, would you find that song? Just play it through once. But but in in this song, there's power in the name of Jesus, and that that power can break the bondage and or the chains that have kept you away from the Word of God. Listen, we all need to repent in this area. There is not one of us who can say, yeah, I read enough of the Bible. I don't believe there is. Because there's always a deeper understanding that God wants to bring us to. There is always a deeper understanding. And so why don't we uh, stand and um, we'll sing this song together. Look at me. I pronounce and proclaim the name of Jesus over each and every one of you. That whatever chain that has you in bondage that is keeping you from the word of God is now in faith been broken and you have been released. You have been released to absorb the message of Christ. You have been released to absorb the power of the word of God that is going to change you. Have faith. Expect it. Expect it. Now may the word of God drench you in your heart and soul that you are healed. Not you will be healed. You are. This moment. Claim it yourself in the name of Jesus, the power of the name of Jesus. I proclaim it over you. You are healed. Done. Period, exclamation point. Close the book. Walk in freedom. I love you, church. And we'll see you next week. There's gonna be some people that I wanna pray for you if you wanna continue to be uh, prayed for if there's something else that God has put on your heart please don't don't leave just 
Let's do it.